Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Straight out of Cobham is the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this episode, Battle of the Bridge 2. This time it's personal, like last time. Chelsea left the roof familiar failings as Spurs steal a share of the points. Kante's hamstrung. Are Chelsea signing Anthony Gordon? Will Anthony Taylor ever referee a Blues game again? And one candidate rules himself out of the running for sporting director. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts. And ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Maybe it would be better if he didn't referee our games. Uh, That was Liam Toomey too, producer Lucy after last week's quiz. Uh, He's back with us. How are you doing, Liam? I'm in my 2009 Chelsea kit and flip-flops. I cannot be consoled. I'm I'm getting in the camera's face. I'm waving my arms and I'm saying it's a disgrace. We're going to talk about Anthony Taylor plenty. Uh, Don't worry. I'm Matt, by the way, back with you, as is Sam Parkin, Chelsea Academy graduate. Sam, did you have a good weekend? I did, yeah. I did that uh, very middle-aged uh, man thing by um, recording the, the game, uh, letting the, the carnage unfold in the afternoon at the house. And then uh, when there was a little bit of quiet, I went and watched the game. Uh, and my phone was blowing up in that second half. So I did see the start of producer Lucy's text, um, which gave the game away a little bit that there was either going to be further fisticuffs or a last-minute Tottenham goal. It was the latter. How pure are you with watching a game back? By which I mean, do you fast forward the bits when the ball's out of play or the physio's on or there's a drinks play? <laughs> I get to about the 80th minute and then I start going down that road. Yeah, yeah. I watch, okay. I, I, I watch the halftime analysis um, and then, yeah, I start speeding it up towards the end when there was that sense of inevitability having seen my, my phone light up on copious occasions. Well, it was a great game, albeit with a slightly frustrating finish. Let's get straight to it then and talk about Chelsea 2, Tottenham 2. The referee, Anthony Taylor, blows the full-time whistle and Antonio Conte and Thomas Tuchel have gone at it again. And the benches are up and there's all sorts of flaring of fists flying all over the place. Managers, coaches, players. The referee blew the full-time whistle and the tempers have spilled over here at Stamford Bridge. It's finished 2-2. Sorry, I have to say, but both goals cannot stand, absolutely cannot stand and it's the only one team who deserves to win, it's us, we were absolutely brilliant and I'm sorry for my team that they don't get what they deserve. Well, as I say, a frustrating finish to what was a pulsating London derby. Chelsea's first home game of the season, finishing all square against Tottenham and Anthony Taylor. Uh, the Blues twice ahead, only to be pegged back laterally by Harry Kane's equaliser deep into stoppage time. We'll talk about the handshake that shook the world later, but let's go chronologically. Uh, Chelsea go in front to start off with Kaladu Koulibaly volleying in a Mark Kukurea corner. And that... Liam, for me, kind of set the theme for, for a decent day for the home debutants. All of them involved in a, in a goal in some form or fashion. That was not what we were expecting Koulibaly to deliver when he came, but it was some finish. 
Yeah, I thought Koulibaly and Kukurea, to a lesser extent Sterling, all look like they've been in this team for years. And that is a big, big plus for Tuchel, given the way the summer was, given how late they arrived, you know, after that US tour had started. Obviously, Kukurea, he's had a matter of days in a Chelsea shirt. For them to look so seamlessly part of a cohesive Chelsea whole was really, really encouraging, I think. And Koulibaly was excellent, not just defensively, but uh, I'm going to write about this later this week, actually. I know we're not at that bit of the podcast yet, but I thought <laughs> I'd throw that in. Um, at getting Chelsea on the front foot, you know, winning the ball back higher up the pitch, defending really aggressively. His passing out of defence was excellent. Managing to bypass the Tottenham press, whether he was going short or going long. Kukurea is just so sort of crisp and accurate with everything that he does. I think he's a really, really smart footballer. You can see that Barcelona education sort of oozing out of everything he he does on the pitch. And Sterling has kind of um, been exactly what Tuchel wanted him to be, I think, in terms of the runs he makes, the attention he he draws, his ability moving with and without the ball, and his, his propensity to get into goal-scoring positions. Maybe needs to do better at taking those chances, but you know he, he is at least fulfilling his role in the system, I think. Um, Liam alludes to it there, Sam, but, but this was a familiar pattern, wasn't it? Chelsea, go ahead, play really well, but don't get the second goal. And, and that kind of furthers the uh, the credence to the claims of, of the fact that Chelsea need a, an out-and-out striker to finish some of these chances that the likes of Sterling and, and Havertz missed on Sunday. Yeah, slightly different in that they were able to regain their momentum having been pegged back to 1-1 and, and go back in front. I wouldn't say there was ever, ever a storm Brewing from from Tottenham, I thought for 80 minutes, Chelsea were far and away the better team. But yeah, two, I suppose, guilt-edged opportunity for Sterling and, and Havertz. And that's only going to add weight to the to the noise that came after the game and will we'll undoubtedly go into this week that Chelsea need this striker. I don't know. There's huge benefits to having the, the three up there as there was yesterday, the fluidity of the movement. I think the, the rotational play is great not having a fixed player down the center was part of Thomas Tuchel's plan yesterday that worked so well yes it was probably more about deeper players Loftus-Cheek Reese James a different shape with the ball without uh, when you're playing against a team essentially that are in the same setup in Tottenham those little intricacies from Thomas Tuchel won the day yesterday but yes I, I, I have to concur those two chances were massive and Havertz was brilliant I mean he didn't get the foul which we'll come on to but that encapsulated his performance you know fighting for well essentially fight balls you know balls that centre forwards you don't really want to have to go and tussle for to win a throw or win a corner but he did it brilliantly yesterday his hold up play was fantastic so I should have put that chance away Sterling should have had one and we, we wouldn't be so fixated this morning on who is going to be this new striker. But yeah, it would be great because it gives you another option um, to have another player who can get you those goals in the six-yard box. I think Broya could be very capable this year, but to add someone with a bit more experience, you'd have to say would be would be great news. Sam, this is a bit awkward. I know you're a bit newer around here than some of us, but I'm the one who's supposed to wax lyrical about Kai Havertz. <laughs> 
<laughs> we were all thinking about you yesterday, Liam, when he uh, when he didn't convert that chance from that unbelievable Reese James cross. But there were also good chances for Sterling and for Harry Kane before Spurs equalised through Hoybier. What did you think about this one then, Liam? It's our first refereeing controversy. You've written about Anthony Taylor for the Athletic today. You feel like the Havertz foul earlier or the foul on Havertz was too far back from when the goal scored 44 seconds, or I feel that anyway. But but what about Richarlison being in Mendy's line of sight? Was was that enough as Thomas Tuchel thinks for the goal to have been disallowed? It looked that way to me, particularly because Richarlison kind of moves towards the path of the ball as it flies past him. And then, of course, you've got the the hair pull right at the end of the game on, on Mark Kukurea. And aside on this, I think the big issue that everyone's missing with Anthony Taylor as the referee and, and Mike Dean as the VAR, and apologies in advance again to, to Sam for this, but can we trust... Anthony Taylor and Mike Dean, two notably hairless men, <laughs> to accurately judge the severity of a tug on what must be the most magnificently flowing locks in the Premier League. Uh, I've got hair. I, it's pretty short. I'm not sure I would back myself to to judge what a a hair pull on Mark Cockerell would actually feel like. So I I, I don't know. No, obviously I'm joking. It was a scandalous missed call. But like the like the Richarlison situation, the funny thing about the fallout and everything being focused on Anthony Taylor again is those things are, are Mike Dean. That's the VAR's responsibility, you know, to, to check offside situations, interfering with play, to check violent conduct incidents, which they did check for violent conduct. It flashed up on the screen and then apparently there was nothing wrong with that incident. Let it flow. I, I don't know whether they were referring to Kukurea's hair or, or anything else. But um, yeah, so that that was part of it, I, I thought. like the, amid, the, amid the hysteria with Taylor, which is understandable given it always seems to be an issue now with Chelsea fans when, when Anthony Taylor ref, referees a Chelsea game and there have been plenty of flashpoint moments. The issues yesterday were actually more with the VAR and more with this bizarre let it flow directive which just encourages more fouls and introduces more subjectivity into referees' calls. So you, you'll, you'll end up with even less consistency than, than we ever had before. I think it's been a total mess. Another example of the PGMOL uh, actually muddying the waters with a directive that isn't in the rules. And we'll probably see it roll back in a few weeks, but too late for this game. All right, well, Sam, let's get your opinion on, on that uh, non-foul on, on Kukurea then, and then we'll come back to, to Rhys James's goal. I, I sort of feel like everybody will be in Cobham this Monday morning going through a warm-down, apart from Kukurea, will be ushered into a side door where Zolt Lowe will be there with a pair of clippers, giving him a grade two, and thereby we don't get this <laughs> issue ever again. Uh, so apparently, Sam, the reason that that there was no foul given is that VAR deemed it not a red for violent conduct. They therefore can't then give it as a foul, which means that the corner then gets taken, which seems a bit backward to me. But I mean, what, why was it not given as a foul? I mean, it's clear as day, isn't it? Is, is it because it looks comedic that he's got this big waft of hair and it gets yanked down? I mean, Anthony Taylor's looking right at it to start mm. with. So you wonder how he doesn't see it in the first place and give a foul. Doesn't have to give a red card there. But it did seem an extraordinarily poor decision from, from both the on-field official and the VAR. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the rules are nonsense. Complete nonsense. Um, 
when I was playing, I thought that if the ball wasn't in play, then those rules would would apply. But the ball was in flight, wasn't it? When there was the the incident, and you just made the point, Matt, as well. Anthony Taylor is staring right at it, so should blow his whistle, award the foul, and then probably send the player off as well. So that's his that's his crucial error in the game, and. Um, yeah, for, for Mike Dean, his job probably was more so the Richarlison offside, I think, that they could have got right. And that's that's you know nothing to do with the referee. The foul, I think, is subjective. I think if that was a Tottenham player on, uh, sorry, the other way round, I'm sure Thomas Tuchel would have wanted play to, to, to go on because there was a slight touch on the ball. So, yeah, Mike Dean and the offside decision... I can't fathom how they don't get that one right. I really don't understand it because Edward Mendy doesn't know if it's going to get a nick off one of those legs. It did get a nick off uh, Koulibaly and found its way into the corner, but he doesn't know if it's going to go back the other way. So you cannot you commit yourself to the dive. And I think we saw that he was a little bit lethargic the way that he he he, he set off uh, to his right-hand side. So that definitely affected it. So... So yeah, I think there was there's, there's strong arguments really to suggest that that both couldn't happen uh, goals. But once the the uh, Kukurea incident has has gone to VAR, that's that's out of Anthony Taylor's hands, and of course the corner kick is still going to be taken. So Chelsea, as you as you said, Matt, um, you know couldn't couldn't get the get the win because you know on that occasion they should have defended that corner better. Koulibaly, for all his brilliant play, I can't fathom why he didn't go and attack that seen it from copious angles and and Tottenham did load that area of the six yard box and you'd expect two, three, four of your better headers of the ball at that stage of the game to just go and clatter into it. So that was an individual mistake that that obviously added to why Chelsea lost two points. I think what Sam said at the end there is absolutely spot on. I think when the when the dust settles from the hysteria of Tuchel v Conte and the Anthony Taylor latest furore I think the things that Chelsea will dwell on and the things Tuchel will dwell on as a very sort of process-oriented coach are how they gave those two goals away. Because regardless of the offside situation, Chelsea put themselves in a position where they were basically Tottenham players queuing up on the edge of their box to take a shot, which wasn't the case for most of the game. Tottenham didn't find themselves in, in many of those positions. And then the last corner. Okay, maybe... You know, maybe they're so scandalised by the Cooker Air incident that they've just completely lost focus. But they're in a situation where they clear that corner and the game's over. And instead, you've got three Tottenham players basically holding hands in the six-yard box, unmarked, all ready to, to head that ball in. It's a crazy goal to give away in that scenario. And it, it really undercut what was a brilliant Chelsea performance otherwise. So that's the negative of the Chelsea performance. We'll finish off with a bit more negativity on the officiating and then we can talk some some positives from this game. Regular listeners will know that producer Lucy uh, is a passionate Chelsea supporter, hence she's just written in the doc, Mike Dean annoyed he didn't get picked for Strictly, hence this shambolic performance. 
Uh, he'll get there one day. I'm sure he'll get there. Uh, so this has been the subject of your post-match piece then, Liam. Uh, basically, the endorsement from Thomas Tuchel of what Chelsea supporters have believed for a while, that Anthony Taylor's got it in for them. Pretty strong words from, from the Chelsea boss yesterday in the heat of battle, and quite literally, uh, in terms of his rows with Antonio Conte too. But but this feels quite significant that, that he went in so heavily on the referee. And there's bound to be ramifications for him, maybe for Anthony Taylor too. Yeah, it was pretty extraordinary. Um, It's not the first time in Premier League history that a manager has singled out a specific referee and even that they've alleged, um, you know, something untoward or or that a referee's got an issue with a club. But the fact that Tuchel went to such lengths to kind of say it's not just the fans, everyone inside Chelsea, everyone in the dressing room, by extension me, um, thinks this as well whenever we see Anthony Taylor's name attached to a Chelsea match. Uh, and and then to say, you know, perhaps it would be better if he didn't referee Chelsea games in, in the future. That's not a viable situation with the way things stand. Anthony Taylor is, regardless of how, what you think of him as a referee, I've watched him a lot. I don't think he's very good, but he is regarded by the PGMOL as arguably their top referee. He refereed more Premier League matches than anyone else last season. He's currently third in terms of active referees for career Premier League matches officiated. And he's the only English referee that is going to Qatar for the World Cup this winter. So he's clearly got a a big reputation within those circles. That means he will be disproportionately picked for big games and big games means Chelsea games. You can't get around that. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's it, it's viable. But the fact that Tuchel has publicly endorsed this, it's one thing. It's one thing fans going on about it because, you know, people within the game can maybe dismiss that as noise and just plough on regardless. But the fact that Tuchel's been now very vocal, suggesting that there is an issue between Anthony Taylor and Chelsea that is specific to Chelsea means that beyond the inevitable FA charge that will follow, this is now a very awkward situation for everyone involved because it's very hard for Taylor to credibly referee another Chelsea game, but it's very hard for him to credibly not referee another Chelsea game. So where does everyone go from here? Uh, Well, on Monday morning, I can tell you Thomas Tuchel's comments are being investigated by the FA. I think that'll be a pretty short investigation. And we are now up to 83,000 signatures on the petition calling for Anthony Taylor to be banned from refereeing Chelsea matches. What's the threshold for it to be debated in Parliament? It's 100,000, I think, isn't it? So, um, I mean, yeah. Let's not get into British politics, but it would be quite fitting that we were having a debate about a Premier League referee's suitability uh, for a football match. Let's move on from the refereeing stuff. Let's talk some positive stuff. Sam, I want to talk about Rhys James because I thought he was absolutely stupendous in that game. That cross that he put in for Havertz was out of this world, but he he, he played in two positions, didn't he? He was right side centre-back for a bit, then his more orthodox position. It just kind of showed you what Chelsea missed so badly when it wasn't in the team last year because he's up there with, with the best defenders in the league, I think. Oh, unquestionably. And, you know, in the, in the first half, him and him and Kukurea were just kind of pushed on fullbacks really as well. And yeah, we know he likes to come in field to get involved in the play. And 
Yeah, I, th- I thought that the right hand side was was brilliant in the first half. Um, Mount um, Lofter's cheek as well, that kind of triangle, and I thought, as I said already, that was a you know a big problem for for Tottenham and part of Thomas Tuchel's setup that gave Chelsea such control. After maybe the first two or three minutes, where Tottenham actually pressed Chelsea quite well and they weren't able to play out, I thought, oh, this could this could be a long afternoon, but Chelsea quickly sorted it out, and yeah, Reese is. Is amazing. You know what I, I think about him, but he yeah put in that amazing ball, uh, scored a really well taken goal. He was that one that was pressurising the ball into the Tottenham front player. He was tasked with going to Harry Kane if he was dropping into the um, the half space and looking to get turned and place on, and and vice versa. He just completely erased any threat from Son when he was getting the ball into feet. So it was a really aggressive defensive display from him and. Brilliant on the ball, such assurance. Found Loftus Cheek at will, especially in the in the first half and in that purple patch that Loftus Cheek had start of the second period. So, yeah, he's um he's he's fantastic player and he's going to be probably very very close to a starting role for for England. I, I would say you kind of need to get him in the team the way that he's playing. Liam, we've been doing this podcast for well over two years now. Let me ask you for the 475th time. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, has he found his place within this Chelsea team? He's done pretty well, I think, at right wing back. He's got the legs for it. He looked less gassed than he did at the Bernabeu last season. A lot more runs up and down. It's a very demanding sort of hybrid role. He was, as well as going up and down that flank, he was tucking in quite a lot and and almost creating like a three-man Chelsea midfield at times. Yeah, he he did did it very intelligently in terms of how he interpreted space. He wasn't a liability, you know, losing the ball in bad areas. He we know he's got great touch and technique in tight spaces under pressure. There were a couple of times when Tuchel got frustrated with him, wanted him to be a bit more direct. Chelsea got turnovers and he and he kind of checked when when Tuchel just wanted him to go um and and really lead the break. So so maybe he can work on that. I also can't shake the feeling that if Wesley Fofana arrives, we will just see Reese James shuffled out there and, and Loftus-Cheek's minutes in that position will be reduced. And, you know, on the, on the James switch, I mean, he showed the full range of his game, didn't he, over those 90 minutes. But I think we also have to credit Tuchel um, for that tactical change because there were some eyebrows raised when he took off Jorginho for Azpilicueta as his first substitution and move Loftus-Cheek in field. But he'd recognised that Tottenham had gone 4-2-4 and by putting James up to wing-back, he he created the possibility for an overload on that side. And that's where the second goal comes from, that Chelsea just had one extra man. It was James and, and, he, and he finished. I mean, it's quite simplistic, but if some of these forays forward from... Um... Loftus-Cheek end up in assists or or goals, then he's got a great argument to play a big part this season because we know that that Reese James supplies that from that position. And yeah, he hasn't been contributing in that regard for a number of seasons now. Even when you go back to Crystal Palace, he was brilliant, but he wasn't scoring regularly. Um, I know under Maurizio Sarri, wasn't it, when he had a good goal scoring return um, when he got a run in the team. But yeah, you you never fully convinced he's going to pick the right option. And I thought that was evident again yesterday. It probably got um, a little bit squeezed out when he had to shift it to Sterling for his big chance. But I still feel that you're still thinking you have got everything, everything to be 
you know, a, a Premier League regular goal scorer, assist maker, and he just seems to not have that composure in the 18-yard box. So hopefully he can find that in the next couple of games. Well, he might get some minutes in the middle of midfield because N'Golo Kante went off with what looked like a hamstring injury, Liam. We're waiting to, to find out the severity of that, but you've got to think it's going to be minimum a couple of weeks and probably a bit longer than that. And that's a huge blow because he was tremendous in this game before he went off. Yeah, it's a massive blow. And in many ways, the game encapsulated the Kante dilemma that Chelsea are in because f- for the minutes he was on the pitch, he was peak Kante. He ran the game. Tottenham could do nothing with him. He was turning them over all over the place, getting Chelsea on the front foot, using the ball really well, positioning himself perfectly in every situation. He's just a force of nature when he's in that form and when he's in that physical condition. But he's not in that physical condition anywhere near as often anymore. And he struggles to stay there without getting these muscle injuries. He's had hamstring injuries before. He's had broader muscle injuries in the last couple of years. Tuchel, we know, was extremely publicly frustrated with his availability last season, playing about half the games. And he's into the final year of his contract now. And and Chelsea have a big decision to make about, do you extend him into his 30s, knowing that he's less durable than ever? But his peak is still so high and he can still elevate this team to such a such a high level when he's on his game. I think it's a really, really difficult, agonising situation. But, the, of course, the immediate headache for Tuchel will be what to do while, while Kante's out because we don't know how long Mateo Kovacic will be sidelined with his own knee problem as well. Although the, the implication from Tuchel on Friday was that that wasn't necessarily too serious. I think in the meantime, there could be an opportunity for Loftus-Cheek. They could really be opportunities for Conor Gallagher. I wrote about him over the weekend, that these next couple of weeks were going to be very big for him and that all paths were open. I think brutal as it sounds, Kante being sidelined, I think it's a positive development for Gallagher because it certainly increases his chances of getting real minutes in the middle of the pitch. Uh, yeah, you kind of stole my thunder there. We had tweets from uh, Tushar and Tom saying, what are the prospects of a Jorginho and Gallagher central midfield with Kante and Kovacic out? Would this require significant changes to the way Chelsea have played so far? Are, are you with Liam, Sam, in that this is Gallagher's opportunity now to show that he can be an understudy to Kante, essentially, I suppose, but but he's going to get the opportunity, isn't he, to, to prove that he belongs in the Chelsea first-team squad? You would think so. I'd put him... You know, probably in front of Loftus Cheek right now for that berth, just because of what he did at Palace, that he's come on in the last two games. That there is a, an element of trust there, it would seem. Shame yesterday. It was a really nice moment when Gallagher broke and shifted it to to mount to Academy Products Lincoln. I thought should he have shot though himself? He should have waited the pass better for um, Mason Mount, and and the direction of the pass was slightly behind him. It should have been waited so he could take it first time. So, but that's, you know, that's, it should be part of his game, but it's not what he's renowned for, is it? His his best part of the game is getting in the box, finishing one touch, ratting around, winning the ball. That's what he does brilliantly. So, yeah, I think he is probably in prime position to take this this role uh, moving forward if Kante's going to be injured, but he's going to have to, he's going to have to change it a little bit and he's going to have to play with a handbrake on at times because if he shows tactical real discipline he won't play again um, from the start in the Premier League game so he can't be 
going on all occasions. Um, you know, it's communication. It's um, having the ability to stay a little bit deeper and and control the possession, which Chelsea require him to do at times. But yeah, I'm I'm really enthused. It could be the break that he needs. I spoke last podcast about Broya maybe getting flung in. I don't think it will happen right now because they made enough chances yesterday. But you know, he's he's played in the Premier League. Broya, he's done well. Um, there there could come an opportunity in the weeks ahead for him to be thrown in and you never know he could get a couple of goals and I see the same for Gallagher it'd only take one good performance wouldn't it and him to uh, produce a, a cross a match winning goal and he's up and running and he could become a big permanent fixture of this first team this season Right that's more than enough sensible discussion let's talk about middle aged men having a showdown in front of the world it was magnificent um, Sam you're a good judge of social media output. I think Antonio Conte might well have won it this morning. Have you seen this? The picture of Thomas Tuchel running down the line in Mourinho style after that Reese James goal. Uh, here's Conte on Instagram. Lucky I didn't see you. Making you trip over would have been well-deserved. Three crying laughing emojis and then the same in Italian. Love to see that uh, from managers, I think. But but what about the handshake that shook the world, Liam? Fabulous scenes. Obviously, there was a bit of aggro after one of the goals between the two. Look me in the eyes when I'm asking you this question as well, by the way. Uh, how much did you love it? It's just exactly what we want to see, isn't it? It was hilarious. It was it was absolutely hilarious. Particularly that I've never seen a brawl sparked by a handshake. By an actual handshake that was, <laughs> that you know, successfully docked, but then couldn't be uncoupled. I'd say the right degree of firmness is more important than the eye contact. No? <laughs> when you cheers in a drink look in the eye isn't it but the, the handshake I don't know is it imperative I don't think you can be moving while you shake hands that's the key you've got to stand still and engage in the handshake if you're holding hands but you're already on the move and not looking I can see yeah. why Thomas yeah. took such umbrage Conte's always struck me as someone who would prioritise the grip above all else <laughs> just as it's a the right it's intent. the right contact though isn't it I don't want to squeeze you never that's just yeah that's very passive aggressive but it's, it's got to be firm to show the respect you must be ready to suffer if you engage in a handshake <laughs> with Antonio Conte. Um, but no, it, it was very funny. I mean, I'm, I missed it in, in real time because naively I was looking at the pitch when the final whistle went rather than the coaches, which is rookie mistake, especially given the position of the press box at Stamford Bridge right behind the dugouts. I mean, I did see after the goals, there was some very funny deliberate provocation going on from Tuchel and Conte. It had been bubbling away all game, like even before the goals were scored. I was struck early in the game by how much more demonstrative Tuchel was than Conte. He seemed to be trying to physically dominate him on the touchline. He even dressed differently for the for the occasion too, didn't he? He kind of looked like somebody who's about to give a press conference explaining why he joined the Live Golf Tour, I thought. <laughs> well, he did what Conte often does which is not encroach in the other coach's technical area, but walk all the way in front of it as he's giving instructions to his team, which we know always annoys the other coach and would definitely annoy Conte. Conte's done it to other coaches loads. But yeah, so Tuchel got on, on Conte's nerves, I think, quite early. And, and, and obviously the fact that Chelsea was so on top in the game really frustrated Conte as well. He was unusually subdued for a while. For a while, it had a feel of one of those days where Conte's body language was almost sort of throwing in the towel, quite demoralised. And then as soon as Tottenham showed signs of life on the pitch, that really galvanised him. 
and then it started to get really tasty but it, it was yeah the show within the show and what was quite interesting was yeah we got the same score line as the battle of the bridge in 2016 we got the same broad uh sort of image at the final whistle but in that game in 2016 the violence flowed from the pitch to the dugout not the other way around so it was quite a good good little contrast that that Conte and Tuchel were the ones who sparked it all off but given the way they talked about it afterwards and that Conte social media post as well I actually get the feeling there could be some sort of aggro bromance that comes out of this. Mm. I think I, I I get the feeling they could actually come out of this liking each other more than they went into it with because Tuchel took it afterwards in a very sort of self-aware, tongue-in-cheek spirit, and and so did Conte. It seems. Let's face it, he's folded as well with the Instagram post, hasn't he? Basically, <laughs> he said like, I, I, I don't want any animosity when you're you're bowling in off the Seven Sisters Road in a few months. So, shown his hand already. I thought it was great, Sam, because as Liam says, there, there was a knowingness to it at the end. Like, oh, people are, you know, men of our age should probably know better than this. And, and, and they'd kind of laughed it off by the full-time whistle. But I would say that the handshake, the stramash, the handbags, whatever you want to call it, that elevated this from a really good game to a great game that's going to be memorable. You need that kind of little bit of needle, a little bit of beef at the end to really put the stamp on it as, as a, a match to remember. Definitely. It's it's a highly pressurised situation and it just shows you how much those people involved want to win the game. They know like you know how integral it is with you know demanding owners and such like every point is so precious, isn't it? And those two are ridiculous competitors. So it, it just came out in abundance yesterday. Yeah, I was gonna ask Liam actually and, and you, Matt, really, because you were you were down there in the in the, the depths of the, the stadium, I imagine, doing your post-match. Um, I heard Thomas Tuchel walk past Harry Kane during his radio interview and give him a slap round the head, which showed that it was quite all quite jovial. And... To, to which Harry Kane replied, that should be another red yeah, card, another... shouldn't it? Which I thought was good. <laughs> Very good, yeah, yeah, it was, it was good. What was the, was the atmosphere, had it completely relaxed um, once they were in there? Because I imagine the, the original battle of the bridge would have been quite um quite a, a moody atmosphere post-match well I wasn't in the tunnel so I, I'm not best to not best to talk about what the mood was like in there but it, it certainly did seem even judging by the coach's demeanor talking to other journalists who were a bit closer to it that it wasn't quite the same I mean that was 2016 was extreme <laughs> that was that was extreme there was real animosity and that was born out of what felt like Mark Clattenburg playing advantage for 90 plus minutes <laughs> while while there was just an escalating uh, series of incredible tackles. I was stunned that no one got seriously injured in that game. And then, yeah, lots of argy-bargy afterwards. Clattenburg could very well have a uh, William and Eric Dyer tattoo battling the bridge, <laughs> you know I think, to go alongside his Champions League trophies and such like. I actually yeah. think maybe the angriest person around that tunnel area might have been Mateo Kovacic, who wasn't even playing. He he actually looked like a member of a band that was just like there watching a football match. Producer Lucy says he was in his mufti clothes. I'm not really sure what mufti clothes are, but um, I presume that's something that, that Southerners know about. It's just uh, wear your own <laughs> clothes stay at school, Matt. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I guess he was in his mufti clothes then. Um, before we move on from this, a couple more points. Liam, other than the fact that he 
didn't get three points. Thomas Tuchel ought to be really pleased with the way his team played, didn't he? It was, it was so much better than Everton last week. Yeah, I think he'll be frustrated with the defensive lapses, but in line with what he said, aside from the referee stuff after the game, he took immense pride in that performance. And it's been a really difficult summer. He spent a lot of pre-season very unsure about this team's readiness. I don't think he saw Chelsea's pre-season as particularly good preparation with the travel and the games and everything. Obviously, signings arriving late. Everyone thought this was Tottenham's great chance to to get a rare win at Stamford Bridge, given the way they hit the ground running last weekend against Southampton, given what we know it looks like when a Conte team is really locked in. And so for Chelsea to raise their intensity to such a level that they actually controlled Tottenham for most of the game and really looked like the super... To the extent that Conte admitted afterwards they were the superior team. I think that's a huge positive, something for Tuchel to, to really hang on to. Chelsea get a couple more signings now um, to boost things further. I think they can they can really attack the next few fixtures and try and build a bit of early season momentum because this was always going to be the, the early test, the early measuring stick of where Chelsea are. And I think they didn't win the game, but I, I think they broadly passed it. Uh, before we move on then, Sam, reports from BBC Radio 5 Live that Todd Bowley was in the dressing room after the game. Uh, if you're one of the players, what are you thinking about that? And if you're Thomas Tuchel, are you having a polite word today saying, let's keep that as a special occasion kind of thing rather than after every game? I think it completely depends um, Yeah, in what his involvement was. You know, what stage it was. If it's directly after the final whistle, then you want the manager and his staff to have the initial debrief, the post-mortem, get the disappointment out of the way. If he's come in to cajole the players and say, well done, half an hour later, I haven't got a problem with that. It's the first home game of the new season. It was a very tempestuous game with what Liam just described. For the majority, some outstanding performances, really encouraging across the board. So if it was to come in and have a handshake with everyone... I haven't got a problem with that at all. I've told you Willie Carson used to come in every game. <laughs> used to love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, if people are speculating that the, the owner's coming in and um, talking about tactics and giving people stick, then then obviously there's a problem. But it wouldn't have been that, would it? It would have been, I'm sure, a bit of um, backslapping, if that's a correct terminology. And to say well done to players who gave an outstanding display, I thought. Yeah, if he's sitting quietly in the corner of the dressing room a la Abramovich, just surveying everything without saying anything, that could seem quite ominous for a coach or or players. Like what's he thinking? What's what what actually are we what actually are we doing here? But if he's coming in just to show his face, try to maintain a rapport with, with the coach and the players of the club that he's that he's running, I don't see a problem with that. I think other owners do it. It's a sign that he's plugged in. It's a sign that he's invested. As long as it's all positive um, and not undermining in any way, I think it's a perfectly healthy thing. Good stuff. Uh, right, Chelsea's next game is away at Leeds on Sunday of next week. We'll preview that in our second show of the week. Next, though, we're going to talk some transfers. If you're into your tactics and football analytics and you're looking for a deeper understanding of the game, you can join me, Ali Maxwell, along with Michael Cox and the rest of the Athletics data team for our Football Tactics podcast. 
find new episodes every week on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Sunday night then, not long after the game, Liam, reports surfaced that Chelsea had bid £40 million for Everton's Anthony Gordon. Any any truth in this? Are Everton just trying to smoke out some Newcastle interest or or are Chelsea after this uh, young star? We're still trying to gauge exactly where this one stands. You know, we've we've had some suggestions more from the Everton side of things that there is there is substance to this but there are a few different situations happening at the same time I think Chelsea are not the only club that are allegedly interested in Gordon Newcastle are also believed to to be pursuing him and in an in an interesting subplot two of Newcastle's ownership group were at Stamford Bridge in the box with Bedad Egbali watching the game and there's also a potential new contract for, for Gordon at Everton. So there are a lot of different wheels in motion here. What is clear is that with Everton's situation and their general lack of attacking options and the fact that Gordon is so young and already playing regularly in the Premier League, he's not going to be cheap. <laughs> this is another one that if if Chelsea want to sign him, they're going to have to pay a hefty premium. And it's kind of not as easy to see where he would fit because he's he's not a clear number nine is he he's not a he's not an out and out striker um he's he's played wide a lot for Everton as well and behind the front and whether he's he's kind of ready to contribute at the level Chelsea need as well as as promising as he is but we've also seen Bowley go big on young players since he's come in and and be willing to put significant money on the table so maybe that is maybe that's part of the model here and and Gordon fits into that, but we're we're still at the stage where we're trying to get a clearer picture of the substance of it. Sam, what's the most important position that Chelsea need to strengthen in between now and the first of September? Do you think? I had a feeling you were going to ask me this, and I don't think I've got a succinct answer for you. I'm afraid. Um, oh, still a forward player, just. Just marginal. As in an actual striker rather than a floaty number 10 midfielder type. I think so. I think so. But I said previously on the podcast, you know, if they got someone of higher calibre to complement that forward line, it wouldn't necessarily have to be an out-and-out central one. But but yeah, given the links of the last week, I think it would be that would be important to give them the other option. This is on the back of seeing Haaland and, and Nunez and... and you know, they're not maybe going to play like that all the time, Liverpool, for example, but it's nice to have the option. It's nice to have someone who's can get you a goal, can be a bit more physical in that front line, even though Havertz did it, you know, in a slightly different way, you know, in different positions of the pitch uh, in, in his role yesterday. So, yeah, I'd still go for that. But, yeah, I think it's important to get another defender in. 
I think they're, they're the two. I think a right-sided defender, definitely. But um, I think it's looking really good. And that's why I was, that's why I had the handbrake on when we did the predictions and when I sent Lucy my in-depth pre-season predictions because after yesterday's showing, two more high-calibre signings, you never know. You never know. This could be a really successful season. I'm not saying it's going to be one where they close that gap hugely on the top two, but I think it could be it could be really promising on that on that display yesterday because that was light years away from Goodison Park. Yeah, I think we're all feeling a lot more positive this Monday morning. Uh, now then, speaking of Monday morning, it's when David Ornstein's weekly column comes out on The Athletic. Always worth a read. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up for just a pound a month for your first six months. He's reporting this morning, Liam, that Michael Edwards won't be Chelsea's new sporting director. Uh, Edwards, who's held similar positions at Liverpool and Spurs, reportedly wants to take some time out of the game. Uh, this is a bit of a blow, isn't it? Because he was a prime candidate. Do we know who else is in the running? Do we know how quickly Chelsea are looking to get this sorted? Presumably it becomes slightly less important once the transfer window closes. Well, slightly less immediate, if not important. Yeah, I, I don't know really, because I think whoever comes in will want as much lead-in time for the next window as possible in, or, in order to get the operation functioning as as they want it. You know, I think I think when Chelsea do hire a sporting director, there may be hires that follow that lower down the recruitment chain. There may be changes to the way Chelsea scout players um and and the sort of data operation that that feeds into that. All of these sorts of processes will be reevaluated by whoever comes in. So that all takes time. And ideally maybe you're not quite looking as much at January, to be fair. Because especially if Chelsea have done so much business this summer, they shouldn't be in a position where they need to do major business in January. But we've seen this summer that having the ability to put the groundwork in with key targets, start talking to those two agents and whisper it to players, even though you're not actually allowed to do that. Um, you know, it, it does help when the transfer window opens. That's part of the reason Chelsea have been beaten to players this summer. It's because they, they weren't able to do, put in that groundwork. So I think we are going to continue to see that urgency from Bowley and Clearlake to get a sporting director in as soon as possible. And the Edwards approach shows that they are going for best in class. They don't, they don't want to go for any less than that. And we've seen some of the other names linked. Paul Mitchell, Andrea Berta is another one that Chelsea have looked at. I'd imagine they're they're going to go through the list, assess who's who's the most gettable, who's potentially the best fit. I'm sure a big consideration of this is who's going to work well with Thomas Tuchel as well from a personality standpoint because that that becomes the key football relationship in the club. And another key question is when a sporting director comes in, is Todd Bowley willing to take a step back again? from talking to agents and executives at other clubs? Or has he caught the same bug that Ed Woodward caught and Daniel Levy caught a good few years ago, non-football men who who became enraptured in the football world? Because um, I think any any top sporting director that Chelsea would look to hire will want to be left alone to operate with, with full autonomy. Mm, watch this space. going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, both Romelu Lukaku... And Timo Werner scored this week, although 
Werner's game with a big assist from the opposition goalie. Nice to see him at Stamford Bridge on Sunday to Sam saying goodbye to his pals. Did you ever do that? Leave a club and then straight away come back just to just to get the goodbyes in? He's left a few pair of boots there, the cynical me says. <laughs> He's got the old black bin bag down to Cobham this morning. <laughs> that was always a very sobering way to go. Um, searching for your Sondico shin pads in the kit room. <laughs> Finding one. Um, have I ever done that? Um, I'm sure I have, yeah, if you leave on good terms. Well, like, funnily enough, you know, my best time at Swindon, I didn't go back for years, I don't think, afterwards. But... Um, I had a good reception since, but no, I don't recall ever doing that. You'd normally time it for probably a, a time of day when the players are out of there, so you can just go in sheepishly and do the do the acts I just described. <laughs> this episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Uh, elsewhere, Millie Bright signed a three-year contract extension with the Chelsea women's team. She's also been nominated for the Ballon d'Or. Sam Kerr is on the shortlist for that award too. Good luck to both of them. In terms of the academy and development size, the under-18s got their season underway with a win away to Arsenal in the under-18 PL South. An early Leo Castledine goal settled the game for Ed Brand's team. Jack Wilshire, by the way, the Arsenal under-18 coach, but he couldn't inspire his team to anything other than defeat on this occasion. The Young Blues' next game is at home to Leicester on Saturday. The under-21s play tonight. That's Monday as we record. They're taking on Fulham at Kings Meadow, hoping to build on that 7-1 hammering of Wolves in their opener last season. And they're going to have some heavyweights to help them out. Carney Chukwemeka, Callum Hudson, Adoy Ben Chilwell, Ethan Ampadu and Trevor Chalibur all been called up to the Chelsea squad for the game. Liam, you'll be there. I guess you were, you were thinking, hmm, I'm going to write about who's going to be the star of this team this season. Where's Harvey Vale going to go on loan? Uh, that, this has kind of changed your piece now. Well, I wasn't actually going with a specific piece in mind, to be honest. I was just going to try and get a bit of a, a better feel for the development squad this year and get a closer look at them. The game isn't televised, so if I wasn't going, I wouldn't be able to see it. And the fact that we'll, we'll see some first team names involved um, is an added bonus. I think Chuck Wamika is the most intriguing one, isn't he? He's, he's arrived with such fanfare given the fee. I've only really seen clips of what he did at Aston Villa and, and at England youth level. So it'll be very, very interesting to see, first of all, where he plays in that Chelsea team and what he's able to do for his first outing. All right, we're just about done for today. Liam, tell us uh, what you've got planned for Athletic subscribers to enjoy this week, please. Yeah, I mean, monitoring the news fallout uh, from the second Battle of the Bridge 
uh, and any inevitable FA charges that will follow. Um, I've got some ideas for more tactically minded pieces on Koulibaly, which is what the one I alluded to earlier, and also Rhys James. Um, I don't know if they'll both happen this week, but they're both certainly in the pipeline. And then keeping an eye on ins and outs, because I'm sure we'll, we'll probably see more developments this week. Yeah, it's going to be a busy end to the transfer window, that's for sure. Uh, also on The Athletic, now you can read Liam Tharn on the uh, the Battle of the Bridge Part 2 and the, the tactical take on the game. Uh, Sam, what are you up to this week? Let me guess, you're going to be, I think, watching Charlton on a Tuesday. I think in Lucy's other guys, um, she holds the, the keys for, for next week and I'm still waiting where, where I'm going to be sent. But um, I'm going to go and see QPR Blackpool tomorrow night who had a goal-scoring goalkeeper at the weekend, um, which evoked memories of me playing in the game. Possibly should have been marking Paul Robinson when he scored from a corner. <laughs> Remember it? Football uh, fans? At Ellen Road? At Ellen Road, that yeah. One? Yeah. And uh, as the ball flew past our goalkeeper, Reece Evans, I put my shirt over my head. <laughs> uh, Chelsea ever had a goal-scoring goalkeeper? Frode Grodas ever got a diving header? A shed end? I can't think of one. No, I can't either. Maybe that's one There's for one a future for the quiz. quiz. Yeah, yeah. The quiz will be back on Wednesday, as will we. Remember, if you want to read Liam's work or any of the other fine stuff up on The Athletic, just go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to sign up for just a pound a month for your first six months. We'll be back with you later in the week when we'll look ahead to that game against Leeds and plenty more besides. Until then, thanks to Sam, to Liam and to Lucy and to you for joining us too. Have a great week. Speak to you soon. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.